When you think about the Netherlands and Dutch culture in Holland, you think about clichés, flowers, tulips, windmills, skating, but you also think about a society that's progressive, a society that celebrates tolerance, a society that has an intimate relationship with the sea, and a society that is contributing mightily to the European Union. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today we're going to Holland. We're going to the Netherlands, and I'm joined by Rolinka Blooming, who comes to us from the Netherlands. Rolinka, thanks for joining us. Dag, Rick. Dag. Dag. Good day. Yes. <laughs> Good day. And uh, dank u wel. How do you say, thank you for joining us. How would you say that? Dank u wel voor het luisteren. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. All right. So when we go to the Netherlands, we find a, a very cosmopolitan, highly educated society. I mean, in the Netherlands, people speak the languages, right? I mean, anybody who's educated speaks more than Dutch. Yes. You can't have a very big world if all you do is speak Dutch. I was in Schiphol Airport recently, and the signs were only in English. Mm-hmm. Is it possible because the, the Dutch language is so small and the Dutch people are so well-educated that anybody who's educated, you could say fairly, a, a young educated person speaks English? Yes, of course, but we start... When I was young, it was 12 years, but now the kids start learning German and English when they're eight. Will they ever dispense with Dutch and just speak English? Oh, I hope so not. No, no. We like to still speak our own language, Rick. So, well, this is very interesting because you, I go to the, the airport and I, I see just as a practical purpose signs in English. Of course. But the people are passionate about their Dutch language. Of course. That's great. Mm-hmm. The Dutch have a very special relationship with the land because the land is so precious. You've reclaimed most of your land from the sea. Mm-hmm. Now you have global warming and the uh, prospect of the sea rising. How are the Dutch responding to this? I think it's one of the most interesting things about the Netherlands that millions of people live below sea level and that we don't even worry about it. I I don't think we we have to fear for the water from the North Sea, but more from the water from the rivers. With the global warming and the melting of the glaciers, the fact is that the rivers are flooding uh, all the time. So it's it's more the people who live in the countryside very close to the rivers so that you have, worry. So you have dikes holding out the sea, but you also have dikes holding in the rivers oh, as they yeah. make their way through the Netherlands to the sea. Absolutely, yes. Now, if you lived below sea level in New Orleans, mm-hmm. you'd be worried about the rising sea. You mm-hmm. sound quite confident. So the Dutch have this figured out? Of course. Uh, after the big flooding in the 50s, with the water management, the new technologies, with the building of the dams and the dikes... I don't really think that people worry about it. No, no. So you've got it. You're, no. you're confident. They yeah. say they say God made the world, but the Dutch we made Holland. Have you heard that phrase the, before? The Dutch created. Yeah, I think isn't it God created the world, but God did not create the, the Netherlands because the Dutch did that themselves. <laughs> the Dutch That's did it. that. So if there is a fault with the Netherlands, I think it's that it is so well organized. It's so confident. You think it's it's a fault? Well, I don't know, but I just think it's almost boring that everything works perfectly. There's no (laughs) chaos like we find in Italy. No, no, (laughs) no, but we are different people too. I mean, no, you're right. It's different. Uh, It is better organized, of course. It's very well organized. Now, you've got this relationship with the sea, Mm -hmm. and you're still a a maritime power. Rotterdam is one of the biggest ports in the world, I believe. Yes. I mean, it provides a lot of work for, let's say, the not-so-skilled labor. Mm-hmm. It's it's still the biggest port in Europe, but not in the world anymore. I think Shanghai and Singapore Okay, but for Europe, larger. Rotterdam really handles Absolutely. a lot of the cargo traffic. Yes, then. yes. And historically, the world has come to Europe and Europe has gone to the world yeah. through the Netherlands. Through the Netherlands. I mean, the Pilgrim Fathers came from England over to the Netherlands and then to Plymouth Rock. Yeah. 
And that brings a little more diversity and a little more tolerance, I think, to your society. Talk to me about that a little bit. Well, we're talking 17th century. We're talking 400 years ago, 350 years ago, that it all started with the East Indian Company, with the sea trade. So yes, we are used to have visitors. We're used to people with different cultures, with different opinions, with different religions, and we're used to have them visit us and that is very much in our culture. My friends in the Netherlands tell me a society has to make a choice, tolerate alternative lifestyles or build more prisons. And you've had a lot of different lifestyles in your culture over the years. I mm-hmm. mean, to have as many sailors coming, you had to have an easygoing sort of a social environment to attract these yeah. sailors in the old days. Mm-hmm. You grew up in the Netherlands. You've seen lots of change. Now the Netherlands are part of the European Union. Are there things near and dear to you as a, as a Dutch person that are threatened with modernity or is it all a plus as Europe becomes integrated? Well, being part of the European Union is something that is not new to us because when we grew up, we were already part of the European Union. I think this is kind of a misunderstanding. Almost people think the European Union is maybe 10, 15, maximum 20 years old, but it was founded more than 50 years ago, and we were one of the founding countries. So I grew up in the Netherlands that was part of a European Union. That's true. Us, us Americans look at it like something that came out of the 1980s or something, but before that you had the Benelux... Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg Union, and then growing more and more integration economically with Germany and France. Is that right? Well, the Benelux already existed before the first negotiations began about the European Union. So the Benelux, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg already had economical cooperation and everything. And then since, what is it, 1957, well, the European Union was founded. So the three Benelux countries plus Germany, plus France, and Italy. Those are the six founding countries of the European Union. It wasn't called European Union then. It was called European Community for Coal and Steel. So it was originally a a coal and steel economic partnership, a trade Mm -hmm. partnership. But the vision was to get Europe more and more closely integrated economically. Something we should not forget is that one of the goals of the European Union is to guarantee peace and to provide stability. So really on the rubble of a bombed-out continent in the late 1940s, Euro visionaries were getting together and saying, we've got to find a way so we don't rip ourselves apart again in another generation. Yeah. Do you think they've succeeded now? I mean, there's a lot of problems with Mm. the European Union, but the fundamental accomplishment of the European Union has been to integrate the economies so we will not see a World War III in Europe. Yeah. And it's 60 years later now, and there was no war in Europe. Isn't that exciting? It's good, yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Europeans, uh, you know, you've got the same kind of economic problems that we have, but I think that is something to celebrate, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Rolinka Blooming, and we're talking about the Netherlands. Our phone number, 877-333-RICK. Our email address, radio at ricksteves.com. Greg from Tarpon Springs, Florida, emailed us, and he writes, Hello, my partner and I are taking a trip to Amsterdam this spring. What's the quirkiest, most offbeat museum in Amsterdam? Oh, I love that question. Rolinka, what's your choice for the quirky offbeat museum in a city that must be the capital of quirky offbeat museums? A couple of uh, funny museums. There is this bag and purse museum, which I don't know if that's uh, what Craig wants to see. I went to that museum. Have you been there? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Somebody with a passion for handbags that goes, you know, handbags go back to before they had pockets. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. If you don't have a pocket, you need a handbag. Mm-hmm. And it comes right up to all of the Art Deco bags and then the, the very trendy bags today. So that's in a big mansion right on the canal near the, um, the, the Hoytville. What's the big? Yeah, at the Herengracht, at the Gentleman's Canal. On the Gentleman's mm-hmm. Canal. What's another quirky museum? Um, maybe the Cat Museum. A cat that, museum in that Amsterdam? That houseboat that houses cats. It's not really a museum. It's this Putin boat. Okay. And there's also the houseboat museum where you can see people living in a houseboat. The houseboat museum, Tattoo yes. museum. Mm-hmm. Pipe museum. The pipe museum. Marijuana museum. The Bible museum. Sex museum. The houseboat museum. Sex museum. The there's two miniature. Sex, there's two sex <laughs> museums. I'm not fixated on There's two different sex museums. And only Amsterdam can support two because they've got all this history of prostitution in that town. Good. Can I add one other one? You may. Maybe maybe this is something he likes. It's called the Miniature Museum. Yeah. And it is a museum for modern art, but miniature. So it has 1,700 works of art from different artists who are from different countries, and they display it. It's, the, it's also the smallest museum in the world. I think it has... Um, in feet, it's 150 square feet. Wow. And it is artwork. So it's paintings, etchings, statues from all kind of artists in this little museum. When I go to Amsterdam, I stay for four or five days. I have a bicycle parked mm. in front of my hotel. I hop on that bike and I can get to all of these museums within about 10 minutes. I absolutely love my time in Amsterdam because there's so much fun culture, quirky. Oh, the most quirky museum I can think of is called Electric Ladyland, run by a freaky guy in the middle of the Jordan neighborhood who just loves phosphorescence and fluorescent art. It's very close to the Anne Frank house. Right. It's a few blocks from Anne Frank's house. I was talking to him, and his favorite part of the United States is New Jersey. I've never met anybody wild about New Jersey, but that's where you got the best phosphorescence in the United States, apparently. So there's plenty of quirky museums to enjoy on your next trip to Amsterdam. Relinka... Your last name is Flowers, right? Relinka Blooming. Mm-hmm. And when uh, you're a tour guide, you get all these Americans coming in, and all they want to do in the Netherlands is probably see windmills, wooden shoes, tulips, go skating, uh, pole vaulting over the canals. Okay, these are part of your culture. How do you explain the validity of those cliches? And then what are the frustrations for you when tourists come and, and you find them fixated on, on silly uh, cultural cliches? Oh, well, it depends how you look at it. I mean, for me, being a guide working in tourism, it's It's, it's okay. your job. Okay, it's wooden my job. shoes. Yeah. I'm happy they're coming. Um, the flowers are indeed very pretty. But for the rest of the local people, uh, I mean, we all like the flowers, but we just live our life. It's not, uh, I mean, we're not wearing our wooden shoes anymore. We're not, we're not looking at windmills like they are from a from a picture book. I mean, that's it's just our our life, and Two we are a modern things. country. The now. Dutch love to have flowers in their homes. Yes. I find when I go to a cheap hotel in the Netherlands, I like to buy a bouquet of flowers yes. in the market, bring it to my room, and it cheers up that room beautifully. What do we always say? Um, a house is not a home without flowers. So we always have flowers in our house, like cut flowers, but we have like plants in the houses. You step out into the street any morning, you'll find people with flowers on the on the little basket on their bicycle heading home to bring flowers to their home. And don't forget our gardens. That's right. Not a lot of land, but and, lovingly tended land. Yeah. And everybody has their garden. And if it's not right in the town, you have a little patch outside of town. Right. You'll see them if you go by train, if you travel by train, which is actually perfect uh, yeah. in the Netherlands. Uh, and you look outside just by leaving the big cities, you'll see these little gardens 
It's like going to their cabin or something. They have mm-hmm. a little tiny hut on there to yeah. put their lounge chair and yeah. their tools, mm-hmm. and they'll go out there and tend to their garden. Katie's on the phone in Boston, Massachusetts. What are you thinking about Amsterdam or the Netherlands? Um, I love Amsterdam. I think it's a beautiful city. It's kind of like a mini Venice. I know a lot of people, when they go to the Netherlands, they just kind of go to Amsterdam. They kind of they go to the north and stuff. Not a lot of people see, like, the south of the Netherlands. And what did you like in the south? It was kind of almost like a different culture, almost. Um, I actually, I studied in a little town called Well. When, um, when, when I would, like, meet most people, they're like, oh, where are you studying? We're like, well, they kind of laughed at me because they're like, what are you doing in Well? Because I believe it's, like, literally, like, a population of, like, 2,000 people in the whole entire town. Um, we were actually right in the middle of, like, Venlo and Nijmegen. And what I loved about, like, the south of the Netherlands is that there's something about, like, their culture. They're just so funny. They're goofy. They're kind of, like, opening for everything. They're kind of more, like, family-oriented. So, like, a lot more agriculture and kind of, like, stuff like that, kind of like the old Dutch. Katie, let's get Rolinka's take on this. Of course, when we're thinking about the Netherlands, when we say Holland, that's the biggest state in a group of states that make the Netherlands. It would be like calling the Netherlands Holland is like calling the United States Texas, basically. Uh, (laughs) So you don't want to call the Netherlands as a whole by the biggest state. And then there are different regions, even though the Netherlands is a small country. Rolinka, how would you characterize the different um, personalities of the people in the north as opposed to the south, uh, what Katie's mentioning here? Mm -hmm. It's very simple. If you look at the map, you'll see the rivers, And the rivers are dividing the Netherlands in the north and the south. Okay, I see that, yeah. So it also means um, the north of the Netherlands is Protestant, the south of the Netherlands is Catholic. Catholic, And that's probably the answer. (laughs) And Protestants are more, you know, business-like and workaholic, and Catholics more enjoying the moment and have a a festival of life. Is that right? That's it. And where Katie has been... uh, That's the Catholic, more easygoing part. Absolutely, yes. Where people enjoy Now, that's south of the Val and the Maas, is that Mm -hmm. right? And the Rhine. So the Rhine River... Does it break into two different rivers there, the Val and the Maas, as it goes to the delta at Rotterdam, and south of that would be the Catholic part of the Netherlands? Yes. Katie, you hit it on the nail. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So you'd propose going to the south where people are more ready to have a good time. Yes. I, um, I actually like went right around like Carnival, which I think believe is coming up soon, which is basically like their Mardi Gras in a way, but they kind of just party for a week straight, wear Halloween costumes. It's, it's insane, but it's a lot of fun. Rolinka, have you experienced that? I've experienced it because I lived in Maastricht, which is absolutely <gasps> oh, in the south. <laughs> so, yes, that's where we, we celebrate at Carnival. But I'm a girl from the north, so I'm most of the time I just skipped it and stayed at home. But people really like it. People are crazy about it. So you lived in Maastricht. Yes. Not many tourists go to this part of the Netherlands. This is the little wing of the country that's between Germany and Belgium, way in the south. Mm-hmm. How, how would you characterize Ma- Maastricht? Um, It claims to be the oldest city in the Netherlands, so it has Roman roots. Mm -hmm. It's near Aachen, which was a historic town in Germany. It's just a half-hour drive to Aachen, it looks like. Yes, and to Liège as well in Belgium. Mm -hmm. So you're really surrounded by the other countries. It's a small city. I mean, it only has 120,000 inhabitants. Uh, Easygoing atmosphere, enjoying life, sitting on terraces, uh, drinking a little glass of wine. It's... It's a different atmosphere, absolutely, than in the north of the Netherlands. You know, so many countries have this north-south division, and Mm -hmm. I guess it's all relative because in Belgium, you've got the Flemish in the north and the Walloons in the south. In Germany, you've got the North Germans, the you know the straightforward ones, and then the more festival yeah. Bavarians. 
in Italy. You got the Lombards, which are the more Germanic types, and yeah. the big industries in the north, and mm-hmm. then all the the easygoing, uh, you know, uh, life in the streets and celebration is in the south. Uh, that's an interesting thing to be aware of. Katie, thanks for your call and your insight. No problem. I actually have one question. Yeah. Have you heard of like white asparagus? I was actually part of like a group. We helped with like the Limburg governor and like their whole thing. I was just wondering if like how like the the North feels about white asparagus. Kind of random, but how, how we feel about it. Yeah. No, but that's yeah. what we eat. We we don't really eat the green asparagus. Mm-hmm. That, that we, I mean, Europeans stop- are very into white asparagus. When I was a kid, back before I even ever <laughs> ate a mushroom, you know, and when everything came in a box and was cubed, <laughs> some European friends sent us a tin of white asparagus, and we thought it was like a mistake. We thought these were deformed, but this is a delicacy in Europe, isn't it? Yes. They were sending us a nice gift, and oh, we we thought of course, we yes. thought they forgot the green. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, when the asparagus yeah. all over, when the asparagus is in season, you better eat it. It's advertised in all the restaurants. Those are the daily specials. Yeah, the, the only reason why I ask is, um, like, kind of like in the Limburg region, they only have like one growing season. It's April through June, mm-hmm. and so when that season comes out, they have parades and like um, all the stuff just kind of surrounding the white asparagus culture. And so, like, I know that the South is really into it. Like, white asparagus, white asparagus is all about the freshness, the quality. I wasn't sure what the North felt like about that or if it's just like another vegetable to eat. Yes, but it's it's okay that, I mean, we cannot grow them in the in the North, so they grow them in the South. The soil is better there, and the country is very small, so they can just uh, send them over to the North. And uh, no, it's Katie, thanks for your call. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, and the Bye. white asparagus is not random. White asparagus is very important if you're eating smartly in Europe. Earl's on the phone in Dowling Park, Florida. Got a thought or a comment for Rolinka or uh, insight into the, the Dutch travel experience? Well, yeah, I'd like to just explain uh, my good fortune when I first visited the Netherlands. I stayed in a hotel in Delft because it had been recommended by a friend. And little did I know, I went in April, and I think I must have gone because it was a good airfare. I didn't realize I was going right into prime flower viewing season in the Netherlands. And I learned about Kukanoff Gardens, and I just, I was blown away. I could not believe it when I visited that place. You know, Earl, I am not one to travel for a flower show, and I happen to be in the Netherlands in the right season there, April, May, for Kuchenhof, and yeah. it was incredible. Isn't it? Everybody I mean, needs to, if you're within striking distance of Kuchenhof, that's the big central flower garden, uh, uh, and it's just an hour away from Amsterdam. It's, it's near the Schiphol Airport or Alsmeer. Yeah, I've been there three times, and... Each time is, well, it's just a thrill. The last time I stayed very late in the afternoon, and that was wonderful because most of the people had left, Mm. and I could get some real good uh, photography taken at that time. It's amazing to me that all that work goes into, I guess, about eight weeks that they're actually open in the spring. And you can complement the visit with a trip to Alsmeer for the flower market, which is, I believe, the biggest building in Europe, they said, filled with flowers. Is that Alsmeer where the flower market is? Flower auction. The flower auction hall, yeah. Rilinka, give us a little insight into Kuchenhof. When is the season and how can we best enjoy that? Okay, do you first want me to pronounce it well? Please. Kuchenhof. Kuchenhof. No, Kuchen. The (laughs) the Kuchen is a kitchen. (laughs) Okay, kitchen, okay. (laughs) So it's like a kitchen's garden. Okay. If you translate the name. We're actually celebrating 60 years Kuchenhof this year. So it already started the first exhibition found place in 1949. Okay. And actually what, what's interesting for this year is that we're also celebrating our 400 years 
relationship in New Amsterdam, New York, with some interesting patterns this year. For example, we've got a flower mosaic of the Statue of Liberty. There's going to be uh, special themes on the United States, uh, special gardens. At um, Kuchenhof. At Kuchenhof this year. Wow. Now, Kuchenhof, yeah. you can visit it probably any time, but the flowers are blooming when? Uh, this year, it opens March 19, and then it's eight weeks. So, Kuchenhof closes May 21st. Okay. And talking about the crowds, for example, what you could do nowadays is instead of buying tickets at the ticket office, go online, get tickets there, avoid the waiting lines, uh, and go later in the afternoon. That's actually a very good idea. All right, Earl. Thanks for uh, reminding us how great it is to see Kuchenhof. It is. And if you are fortunate enough to be there the end of April, I would highly, very highly recommend a visit to Harlem where you can view the floats from the Flower Parade that are on display right in the uh, town of Harlem. Uh, The Netherlands version of the Rose Bowl Parade, that's for sure. Wow. Mm. Yeah, this is a very famous one, the one that ends in Harlem, and then the carts stay there for two days. But we've got more. We've got in total more than 20 of those flower parades. And I think the interesting thing is... In 20 different cities, uh, always in the spring? That's what I just wanted to say. It's not always in the spring. Some Hmm. of the flower parades are in summertime. We even have them in September. Ah. There's a very famous one in the south of the Netherlands, actually in the little village where Vincent van Gogh was born. So you could visit the Vincent van Gogh house. You could attend the flower parade. You can do a bicycle route tracing uh, van Gogh's footsteps. There are more than 20 different flower parades. Earl, you got us thinking about flowers. Thanks Mm -hmm. a lot. I just wanted to mention one other thing, because whenever I visit Europe, and I do go a lot, Rick, I always use public transportation, and the train system in the Netherlands is <laughs> just unbelievable to us poor souls that are in this country. My wife and I sometimes would sit at the Delft train station, and you're going to call me weird, but I just want to watch the trains go by, and they're all passengers, and like in about 45 minutes, we'll usually see 20 to 22 trains coming or going through Delft. You know, you can be in a place like Delft or Harlem, and they've got wonderful period cafes in the train stations where you can just have your cup of coffee or your beer. (laughs) That reminds me of another thing, Rick. I was on a train one time that I don't know what the problem was, but we ended up at our station at the end of the line, 17 minutes late. The conductor was so apologetic. He came through the train giving us all chits for a cup of coffee or tea at the railroad station. (laughs) You can memorize the train schedule in a glance because the trains leave at 15, 30, 45, and top of the hour. And and major trains every hour. (laughs) I love traveling by train in the Netherlands. And then you step outside and you see a four-story tall bicycle garage. So everybody parks their one bike in their town, hop on the train, which leaves every 15 minutes, get into the big city for their work, step across the street, pick up their junker bike. They've got chained to a post in the bike garage, and they're on their way to their, uh, their work. And it's just this pedal and ride system, which really makes a lot of sense. Earl, yeah. we're going we're to run and talk to some more people here. So thanks okay. for your call. Happy pedaling and, and happy uh, enjoying the flowers. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Val. Thank you, Val. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Rolinka Blooming from the Netherlands. We're talking about Dutch culture, 877-333-RICK. That's the phone number. Angela's on the line in Visalia, California. Angela, thanks for your call. Yes. Um, my parents and my husband and I just traveled there. It was just fabulous. My parents were both born and raised there and immigrated after the World War. And what did you enjoy about it? 
the hospitality of the people was just amazing. Um, of course, it was kind of a pilgrimage for us. We went back to my mother's from the Groningen area, and they moved several times when she was growing up, and we were able to locate those houses, and we even got the tour through one of them. The home that my father was born and raised in was still there, and the people welcomed us. We walked through the entire house and, of course, had coffee time with them. So just really special memories. Now, did your family live through World War II then in the Netherlands? Yes, they did. Did they share their experiences with you? Um, Yes, they did, for the most part. They're both in their 70s now. So, you know, my father, you know, lived more in Friesland. They were a little more protected. They were a little farther away from the border in Germany, out in the country. My mother's family, being in Groningen, is closer to the German border. My grandfather was very active in the underground, so their families actually had to go into hiding for two years. My goodness. Separate separate from, you know, my grandfather, of course. So we were able to see some of the homes that took them in and hid them. And we're in California, everything's so far apart that sometimes we were amazed to see that the house that they went to hide in was only a couple of miles in the next town over. And then when they felt that they had been compromised, then they had to move, sometimes in the middle of the night. And Wow, that's an amazing story to be yes. able to tell your uh, descendants. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. thanks for sharing. Thank you. Happy travels. Okay. Jillian's on the line in Hopkinton, New Hampshire. Jillian, thanks for your call. Hi. Do you have any thoughts on traveling in the Netherlands? Um, I do. Um, actually, I went last summer and also two years ago with my family. What I most enjoyed was probably seeing in The Hague where my mom used to live when she was in high school. She stayed there for four years, and it was just incredible. One of my favorite parts was probably seeing Klingendale Park. What is Klingendale Park? I don't know that. um, It's in The Hague, and, you know, it seems like your average city park when you start walking in, but when you get into the thick of it, everything is covered with sort of a, a light green moss, and all the trees are very thick, and it just, it's very old and magical and very characteristic of the abundant vegetation in Holland, which I absolutely love. Now, you sound like a, a student. Are you, how old are you, Jillian? Yes, I'm 16 years old. So you had quite an experience as a 16-year-old in the Netherlands. <laughs> yes. Did you meet many kids your age? No, actually I didn't um, because, well, the first time it was with a group of students we were mostly going to museums and things. And the second time was with my family, so I spent most of my time with them. So what was your favorite food when you were with your family there? Um, we had rice toffle once. That's fun. Which I probably did not pronounce correctly. but well, you did as well as I could have. My parents, <laughs> my parents took me there when I was your age, and that was my most memorable meal was this incredible rice toffle. Yeah, it was, it was very, very delicious. Now, you were in The Hague. Did you go to Maduradam in The Hague? Oh, uh, we did not. Have you heard of that? Uh, no. It's a little miniature Holland when I was a kid, but that was... Uh, Relinka, is Maduradam still uh, an amusement park for children and families? Oh, yes. So it's a popular place. It's a mini Holland. What does it tell about Maduradam? Oh, it's fun. It's yeah. it's just all the historical cities, but also like Schiphol Airport, the port of Rotterdam. Everything's it's in miniature. It's all built in miniature, too. So you got yeah. this miniature country, the Netherlands, and then they've got the miniature children's family park amusement where you can go there and check out. You can look at the whole country right there in front of you at The Hague, Den Haag. And then you can also, there's a torture museum in Den Haag, which is I found quite interesting. There's the palace where they have the World Peace Palace there, right? This is the, the home of the World Court. 
and you've got the resort Scheveningen, where it's just a wonderful resort, which is a suburb of Den Haag. A fascinating place to visit if you want to get outside of Amsterdam. What's the saying? They say the, um, the money is made in Amsterdam and spent in Den Haag. That's the capital, right? Yeah, no, I, th- I think there's three cities three involved. Three cities, yeah. So Rotterdam, because of the port and hardworking people, and then Amsterdam and The Hague. So the saying is, the money in the Netherlands is made in Rotterdam. Then they talk about it in The Hague, because these politicians, they talk a lot. And then the money is spent in Amsterdam. That's right. So it's made in Rotterdam. They say the shirts, they come with the sleeves already rolled up. Voila. And then, <laughs> voila. Okay. Hey, Jillian, thanks for sharing your experience as a teenager in the Netherlands. No problem. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been joined by Rolinka Blooming to talk about her home country, the Netherlands. Rolinka, so many Americans, when they go to Holland or the Netherlands, they'll, they'll pretty much go to Amsterdam. What would you advise? Give us one image of the joy you can have in your travel experience in the Netherlands if you just get out of Amsterdam. Take us to one special place to wrap up this interview. If you have a chance to go on a bicycle, I think biking is is so much part of our lifestyle and that that would be fun if the weather is good. Get a bicycle, like get one on the central station in Amsterdam, take the ferry boat to the north of Amsterdam and then take the bike ride, um, go out to Volendam or to Edam. It's all very doable, and you're out in the countryside. It's a completely different. It's very quiet. It's very peaceful. And and to give you an idea of how well-organized and compact the Netherlands are, right behind the train station in downtown Amsterdam, 10 boats an hour. It's free. In 10 minutes, you're across the water, and you, mm. you just follow that canal into the polderland, and pretty soon you're surrounded by just a fairy tale Dutch scene. It could be right out of a Rembrandt painting. Yes. Rolinka Blooming, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 100 cities across the country. Listen to podcasts of past shows in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Rick's public television series, Rick Steves Europe, also airs throughout the USA. You'll find the latest on Rick's TV and radio work, as well as his guidebooks and his free-spirited European tour program at ricksteves.com.